Hey, pull up a chair. Tax on Tap with David Axelrod and Mike Murphy. It's great to be back. Good to see you. Yes, good to have you back. You were last seen shooting down uh, Alligator Alley in Florida, <laughs> heading to open a car dealership. Exactly, or something. A gig. exactly, and it all went as planned. The the Alligator <laughs> suit guys showed up. The balloons were there. Everything was everything was. <laughs> you great. moved and, a couple of Hyundai's and and, <laughs> and Robert Gibbs, uh, the inestimable Robert Gibbs, did a great job uh, yeah. sitting in here. Hope to see and hear. Uh, more from him in the weeks and months uh, to come. But man, I got sensory overload here. We're here. We are yeah, the too. first day of uh, impeachment, and you can't. You know, as I know that there astride the country, there's this feeling that we all know how it's going to end. But and therefore, in some ways, it's a it's kind of pyrrhic exercise. But uh, you you know, the weight of it is still is still there. Uh, and now we have a sense of what the arguments are. And one thing I wanted to start off by asking you about is, is this, what, what is the impact of this Republican argument, which is essentially, yeah, he did it. So what, uh, he had, he was within his rights to, to, uh, to do what he did with the Ukrainians. And, and even if it were an abuse of power, abuses of power aren't impeachable. Uh, so this whole deal is meaningless. Yeah, it, well, I think part of the uh you know, as seen on TV legal team is there seem to be two arguments and I'm not sure they're that well coordinated. Kind of the Dershowitz argument which is uh yeah, yeah, he did it, but it, you know, it's not relevant or not impeachable. And then the other argument is uh you know that um it's it's not um um how do, how would I put this? Uh, it, it, it's not their business to investigate this. It's not a crime like in a trial. Well, of course, an impeachment is not the same as a criminal trial. And so, uh, you know, I think the bigger thing is going to be Trump, who refuses to go down the Clinton model of right. remorse, agreeing to some sort of steam release, which is, yeah, I'm sorry, or let's move this thing along. He wants a trial where Hannity um, like shows up as the only witness to defend him, and he, you know basically wants to put the Senate on trial. In fact, we we had a secret leak. Uh, we got this mystery package wrapped in old Romney oh, really? bumper oh. stickers. Oh, uh, that's oh great! From there was a practice session of the of the senatorial arguments. Let's uh, let's give a listen to the secret tape of what Trump's real strategy is in this trial. He is a slime. If he's allowed to go free, then something really wrong is going on. Mr. President, you are out of order. You're out of order. You're out of order. The whole trial is out of order. They're out of order. That man, that crazy, depraved man. It's pretty remarkable, as estranged as you are from your Republican brethren, that you could get this... Authentic uh, inside tape—it's amazing. But that—that <laughs> that, uh, well, we, we had a little help from Al Pacino uh, uh, acting out the the plan. Uh, <laughs> but the point being, I think the legal team's going to disintegrate a little bit because Trump's going to watch the show and give real time reviews. Um, you know, so I I think it's gonna it's gonna be. Oh, I don't know how to put it. Kind of a, a cloud of different things with the veneer of a show trial because under the surface, Mitch has enough votes to beat it back. So the high drama, I think, will be about witnesses. Will people be so fatigued 
you know, when the second fight comes about having witnesses, or will it generate enough interest that a Bolton or some like somebody like that could actually be pulled in? And then there'd be a fight, will it be done in secret or in public? The bad thing for the Republicans is the polling numbers on squashing witnesses and hiding inf- information are terrible, even among Republicans. Or even so, on this issue of whether yeah. Trump did anything wrong. I mean, there's a yeah. healthy majority that believes that he did do something wrong. And that goes to your first point, which is, you know, they've adopted the Trumpian strategy, which is to deny everything and prosecute the prosecutors. But uh, but they've sort of lost the case already in the court of public opinion on whether he did something wrong. So to not acknowledge any era here uh, you know, perhaps it's it's legally necessary, but it's politically uh, oh a terrible diff- difficult yeah. case to make, especially for it's not like Twitter where you make up your own facts and just assert things. This is actually a trial with some rigor to it. Now, I think the other question is, will it get interesting enough to break the paradigm where half the country rolls their eyes and takes a side and just doesn't? Oh, it's Washington; they all do that crap. Or you know, get on, get on. If you do something about drug prices or or the border, whatever the partisan view is so will this thing break through to the next level because it's going to be so huge in the media or is this a beltway thing where it's a fascinating nine-act uh, kabuki theater play there but out in the places that count in the general election people are shrugging i i what will it ramp up well well if mcconnell's rules if mcconnell's rules prevail and i you know you have every reason to believe that they will because he wouldn't have uh, rolled them out if he didn't think he had 51 votes uh then you're going to have to be pretty damned interested to uh follow this thing because a lot of it's going to happen uh late at night uh at the end of a long exhausting day uh of uh of debate and discussion among the lawyers uh and that's you know i mean McConnell uh Whatever else you say about him, he's a shrewd guy. This is oh, a shrewd totally strategy. Shrewd. Uh, you know, shrewd because he wants to get it over quickly. Shrewd because he doesn't want there to be uh, a huge uh, daily audience for this thing, and so he wants to exhaust people. Uh, you know, his view is here that uh, speed kills, and long days are in his favor. Yeah, no, he would love to have this thing peak at midnight every day so the primetime audience is in California, <laughs> you know, yeah. which is in the bag for the Democrats. So it's incredibly uh, tricky and cynical, but but I think where the stakes have risen for the Republican senators, the Cory Gardners, the Susan Collinses, maybe even the Tom Tillises, is there's going to be this fight over the process of any transparency or witnesses, which is where... If the trial is well presented and interesting enough, which I think the Democrats should be able to do, um, that transparency argument, which is bigger than Trump, just process. This is America. Or is this a Russian show trial? Uh, that could break through a bit. And so I think there's real peril there. And I think right now there may be three Republican votes and a few more quiet institutionalists. Um, who may vote to crack the thing up for Bolton. And clearly, Bolton wants to be there. He, either he's got books to sell or a conscience or both. Or he wants to be caught trying uh, to testify yeah, yeah. so that when he disgorges all in his book, no one can say, well, gee, you should have told that to the Congress when they were dealing with impeachment. Right, right. And I think he's crafty enough. He might do a Sunday show any minute now and tease, do a little strip tease for the media to build up the pressure for, you know, a subpoena him, let that vote happen. And that's where even Mitch is clearly operating like he is not sure he's got squelching votes on, on Biden. I, I mean, excuse me, on uh, 
on uh, Bolton. So I think part of Mitch's strategy there is like the midnight oil strategy. Let let them all scream at each other for these long days for three days and then start the chorus of, oh, let this thing be over enough. On to the people's business, to use an old Clinton hit, and try to take the energy out of, quote, extending the trial uh, with witnesses. By the way, I can, spe- I can speak from experience on this. I think for Bolton, uh, a striptease on television would be shaving his mustache off. But we'll, we'll, <laughs> oh, the, we'll, we'll see oh, the gauntlet there. is thrown down. But this, this this witness fight that you're talking about, uh, you know, one of the people whose names has been included in the group of potential dissenters is your old client, Lamar Alexander. Uh, do you I don't want to compromise you if you're giving him private counsel. But do you see him as a as someone who would uh, who would bolt on this issue? Yes. Yeah, so I'll I'll. Um... I'll tell you what I think. You know, Lamar and I email back and forth. He keeps asking me to come. I'd love to see him. I just haven't been in D.C. You know, I got to travel around there in a disguise uh, in Republican circle, but I'll get out there because I, I, I know him well. Uh, I haven't talked exactly about this vote with him, uh, but I know him very well. And I think he could be the deciding vote. Let me tell you one little story about Lamar. People, people don't know a lot of this history because, you know, it's history, which they should know. But. When Lamar was elected governor of Tennessee, he got a call at home a few days before he was supposed to be, I think it was even a week before he was supposed to be sworn in, and it was the U.S. attorney calling. And Lamar, being crafty, said, well, I don't know if you're the U.S. attorney, so I'm going to call the U.S. attorney's you know, office and see who's there. Have your phones turned out. This was at night. So he calls back, and it was indeed the U.S. attorney who said, look, you know, you're, you're the governor-elect, but we want to swear you in right now, like in an hour, because the governor is selling pardons for cash right now out of the governor's office. So they walked him in, they swore him in early, and he cleaned up a pretty corrupt state. The old Buford Pusser movies were about during the Lamar era. He even had a crusading lawyer named Fred Thompson to work with him. They had been in D.C. together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He had been through Watergate on the inside. His mentor was Howard you know, what did the president know and, you know, <laughs> uh, how yeah, – yeah, yeah, Howard Baker. So I think his compass shoots pretty damn straight. Now, he also understands he's got a base Trump state, but he's not running again, and he is an institutionalist. So I uh, – mm-hmm. I, I, uh, without – I'm not implying I've had any conversation with him about this. But if there, if there is um, a moment where obstructing a witness is clearly obstructing a fair trial, I would be surprised surprised if he would support the McConnell position there. So uh, we, I said before that I thought McConnell was a shrewd, if if, di- if not di- uh, diabolical, in the way these rules have been unfurled, including not just uh, the the speed and the, the length of the days, but also uh, in not automatically admitting all the evidence uh, from the House. They're going to have to vote uh, on that. But, uh, but what about the president and the White House? I actually— you know, think it was a smart move to send him off to Davos and try and keep him occupied. Oh, sure. Boasting about the American economy and so on. The question is, does he have the self-control not to step on that story by commenting and tweeting uh, and live tweeting the uh, maybe they'll keep him so busy he can't watch the trial. But I, <laughs> I doubt that. You know, I, I right now. There are probably a hundred Waka guys who are in charge of making sure Fox News is piped in twenty four seven to Davos, <laughs> and uh, the White House communications agency who handle all the the president's communications needs on the road. And so I think the staff is terrified that he'll get in the way of this. I think that's why he's in Davos. But I'm with you. I think there are two risks. One, he's tweeting and going bananas because he's watching this thing as a TV show. 
And again, I don't think he's into legal strategy. He just wants a saber-toothed defense. And you've got all these egomaniacal lawyers who are going to be, I don't know who's in charge of that thing, you know, and they're all, they're all independent operators. So I see complete recipe for disaster there. And then, of course, also it's Davos. So he's going to walk up. He's going to steal a salad fork. I mean, he'll get in some boorishness story will be pushed out of Davos because this is literally like bringing a uh, a pro wrestling villain to the opera. So it's not going to work uh, as planned is what you're saying. No, because I, I think there's no way to keep him in the cage during this because he's going bonkers mm-hmm. and he doesn't follow staff advice. So, yeah, no, I think the whole thing is going to be a PR management train wreck. We all know the thing to do is let the energy out, mea culpa a bit, but none of that stuff is in the Trump playbook. So it's going to be farcical in some ways, I think, how Trump reacts to this. Real, real quick, on a scale of 1 to 10, uh, how much is this going to be uh, at issue in November when people vote for the for, for president? I think it, it. both sides are dug in, but this thing, the way McConnell's squelching it, is going to be Merrick Garland on tremendous steroids for the Democrats. It's a turnout gift. It's a fundraising gift. It's an intensity gift. So that way, I think it is a significant negative for Trump and the dynamic of the election, though I don't think it'll be the street argument between voters in the end. It'll be a bloody shirt that Dems wave in their world. And there are more Democrats than Republicans. So if they both go bananas on turnout, much better for the Dems, even in the Michigans and uh, the Pennsylvanias and Florida's, a state that I think is also in play. Yeah. Uh, I say TBD, what, what impact this will have. You know, in this world in which we live, there are so many intervening, there will yeah, be sure. so many intervening events that this may be ancient history by the time uh, November rolls around. So speaking of the election, we're just, uh, we're, we're less than two weeks from Iowa. Uh, and I, I think last time we got together, you, you said that you, you were, uh, you were uh, getting warmer on Biden. Uh, we've had an intervening poll from the Des Moines Register, which is sort of the one everybody looks at that sh- that shows Biden uh, trailing, uh, you know, behind and Bernie Sanders winning. But there have been a whole bunch of polls that had Biden uh, ahead. And I think there's a sense that, you know, that Biden has some uh, possibilities here. There was a new poll out this week uh, that David Binder, who I know well because he worked for uh, because he worked uh, for us during the Obama years that had uh, a Biden six points ahead, uh, Elizabeth. Yeah, uh, and Amy in double digits, too, right, for the Elizabeth first Elizabeth Warren in, in, in uh, second, uh, Buttigieg in third, and then, uh, you know, Sanders and, and Klobuchar. Uh, so what is your sense of things? You know, my Kreskin view for 18 months has always been Biden broken in Iowa, third place, or, you know, gets beat, no longer front runner. I've been short Biden on predictions. And I could be wrong, definitely, because the, the vibe now, at least the CW vibe, which is very much driven by these polls, is Biden moving up. Now, as you said, the Seltzer poll, the Des Moines Register poll, uh, which is well respected there because of methodological uh, care, had Biden in fourth in, in a pretty clustered. Yes, and you know, I think she um, would say that, and I think they did in the story that it was anybody's race. So right, which I I believe he's got a shot. But I now we've had the Mammoth poll and the the former lieutenant governor there has a farm organization, a Dem, the I guess Binders poll. I do know this. 
Polling in an Iowa caucus, as you know right now, is so hard because you've got millions of voter contact phone calls being made. Uh, and so polling always skews a little older. It's easier to get them on the phone. So I have some suspect. That w- which would favor Which Biden. would favor Biden. So I think not by intention of these pollsters, but by the dynamic of trying to get, when you got a call, make 100 attempts to get one phone call, um, there may be an older skew here. So I'm going to go with my gut. I'm going to stay where I've always been to feel a little short on Joe. Now, let me say, if I would much rather see Joe as the nominee than Bernie or Elizabeth. Uh, I got no problem with them as a general election anti-Trump candidate. I've got the same problem I have of all of them. You know, they're too damn liberal for me. But he's great. I just think that he'll hit the rocks in Iowa, and my gut still tells me that. And as far as organization is concerned, which is important when you got to break up that Klobuchar vote or whatever when they don't get to 15 on the next thing, I think he'll be at a bit of a disadvantage. That said, I have low confidence. I think any of them almost could pull it off. It does seem to me like Bernie has some intensity. I know you want to talk about that. Um, but uh, maybe Biden is having his move now. And then last thing, two weeks, you know, Biden's still capable of having a bad day, a really bad day. Yeah, that's always a that's always a possibility. You know, I'd say a few things about this. One is I, I think that he was helped by the Iran story. Uh, and in this mm-hmm. poll by four to one, uh, by, by f- you know, I think it was a matter of four to one, uh, 42% uh, said that he was the best suited to deal with these kinds of international challenges. I think the next person was 12%. I think it was Elizabeth Warren and Buttigieg was at 11. But so that's a, uh, I think that has helped him. I actually think this impeachment has, you know, the irony of the whole impeachment thing is that Trump uh, was trying to stop Biden. And I th- he, he's actually helped him uh, because he's yeah. identified him as the candidate that he fears. Uh, and he's caused Democrats a, a little bit of a rallying uh behind uh behind him you know biden um has uh uh also run started running an ad this week in uh iowa it's good and uh it it features a familiar voice whose whose name we probably won't have to (laughs) share with you so let's take a listen to that we all know that on its own his work does not capture the full measure of joe biden when joe talks about opportunity for our children we are the father who rode the rails home every night so he could be there to tuck his kids into bed. When Joe talks to Gold Star families who've lost a hero, we hear another father of an American veteran, a resilient and loyal and humble servant. The best part is he's nowhere close to finish. So that was Barack Obama yeah, speaking at a yeah. uh, at at a Medal of Freedom ceremony in which he uh, he he gave uh, awarded the Medal of Freedom to Biden. Um, the the just the fact of his voice is probably helpful. The points he made, I think, are ones that are strengths of Biden: his his, uh, his empathy, his service, his experience, and so on. Uh, and it sounds like an endorsement ad, which it is not because. Uh, Obama hasn't endorsed anyone, uh, but he also hasn't said anything about this ad, which makes you feel like he didn't object to it. Yeah, we've been talking about this for a long time, that there would come a moment where Biden would have to cash the Obama card. And when you do it with, I remember we did this with a Reagan speech for Bob Dole in the Iowa uh, caucus uh, in the, the first Dole thing in 88. And then it's up to the Obama staff to object or not. Now, if Tom Steyer was running this or Bernie was, I bet there would have been an objection. But, but So it was a tacit sign of support. I totally agree it's effective. And again, you're right about impeachment. That'll be looking like a Trump hatchet job on Joe. 
And Biden will be in Iowa to be offended by it. Well, the others are going to be bolted to the, the trial, the senators. So yeah, there's a lot to argue Joe's going. My gut, though, is just that, uh, though I have less confidence than I did, that he's going to not make it to the top two where I think he needs to be. The, right now, if I were Biden, I'd be more uh, checking in on the meteorological reports uh, for <laughs> caucus day than yep. the uh, polling reports because his his support skews very much older i think he's getting 44 percent of the vote among voters 65 and over and they are people who come to caucuses they are caucus attendees uh you know but the question is if it is uh if it is 10 below zero if it is a blizzard that day uh, are they going to come? Does he have the organization to bring them out? Because the one thing that shows up in all of this is enth- is there's an enthusiasm gap. Yep, totally. Uh, Elizabeth Warren's uh, uh, supporters are enthusiastic. Buttigieg is enthusiastic. Uh, obviously, Bernie Sanders' supporters are enthusiastic. And, uh, you know, so will, will they come is something that I think uh, that Biden has to uh, – has to uh, – has to be concerned about. Yeah, if I were the other guys, I'd hand out half price after 8 p.m. Denny's coupons wall-to-wall in the state that day, do everything <laughs> I could. To, you know, uh, oh, cheap cheap ageism joke. I apologize. That's all right, man. You're creeping up there, so you may just I was going to say, self, I'm not far away. You're yeah. soon going to be a self-hating senior voter. Grand slam. But, yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, you know, but was what was interesting was both Warren and, uh, and Bernie uh, teamed up in some ways in attacking Biden for having in the past supported uh, changes in Social Security that they would depict as cuts uh, right. in order to balance the budget. And that was uh, a clear sense to try, a clear uh, move to try and slow him down with uh, these older voters who are voting for him in droves. Slowly. Um, yeah. <laughs> they, the uh, fact checkers really went after Bernie for that shot. And Bernie's out apologizing. You should explain this because we're getting into the far left stuff with people named Zephyr. Uh, yes. But uh, there's kind of an interesting little contratips there with Bernie Biden and a famous uh, New York lefty. Yeah. Well, Zephyr Teachout was a, is a, a, a left uh, uh, on the left Democrat, uh, a Bernie uh, supporter. She wrote uh, a uh, commentary in The Guardian in which she uh, talked about corporate influence uh, and corporate dollars and Biden's acceptance of these and uh, tied it to some of his actions and uh, essentially accused him of being corrupted by these corporate dollars. Uh, the language was harsh and Bernie uh, felt the need to respond to it. Let's listen to that. Joe and I have strong disagreements on a number of issues and we'll argue those disagreements out. Uh, but it is absolutely not my view that Joe is, is corrupt in any way. Uh, and I'm sorry that that uh, op-ed appeared to me. I appeal to my supporters, please, engage in civil discourse. And by the way, we're not the only campaign that does it. Other people do, you know, act that way as well. But I would appeal to everybody, have a debate on the issues. We can disagree with each other without being disagreeable, without being hateful. It's interesting that he felt that he needed to. And I think this is some... Uh, partly it's because Joe Biden is a popular figure within the Democratic uh, Party, whether people are supporting mm-hmm. him or not. Part of it is uh, this whole notion of corruption mirrors uh, an argument that Trump is making, which would make Democrats very uh, uncomfortable. And I think part of it is maybe fallout from uh, the deal yeah. with Elizabeth Warren, you know, and the spat he had 
with with her uh, last week about whether what he did and didn't say in their meeting 13 months yep. ago about whether women could get elected. But I think uh, Bernie is feeling a little bit of heat. Yeah, I do too. I think they were, and I still think may be, on a good ascension in Iowa. And so then they got into this thing, which uh, we're talking about with uh, – with Warren, and now here's another potential problem with Biden. So I think he just doesn't want any Velcro. You know, it's, it, he just wants to keep going and push this one off. So I, I agree. I think he's feeling like he's got one uh, one side issue distraction too many. And you know, the Warren thing was was bumpy. Let's listen and maybe talk about it. I think you called me a liar on national TV. I think you called me a liar on national TV. Let's not do it right now. You want to have that discussion? We'll have that Any discussion. Time. You called me. You told me. All right, let's not do it I'm now. Not, I don't want to get in the middle of it. I just want to say hi, Bernie. Yeah, good. Okay. <laughs> My favorite part of that whole thing was Tom Steyer, who was like Zelig, yeah. showing up in the middle of the fight. And it's like, whoa, <laughs> what's going on here? His face yeah. on that tape was uh, was was priceless. Yeah, I, I actually And, and Bernie think- was so great. It's like, uh, hey, third place, uh, ah, scram, scram, nobody. Yeah, 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 here. yeah. Like, was- exactly. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I do think, uh, I, I actually think that particular exchange uh, was unplanned and probably unhelpful to Warren. I thought her response in the debate in which she didn't go after him was classic. And I think she did very well. And in this poll that we mentioned that came out yesterday, the Binder uh, Rural uh, Voters Poll, um, you know, she got a lot of credit for having a good debate. Uh, I think that her uh, team would probably have preferred if she had uh, kept the the uh, uh, the after party uh, down to a minimum there yeah. and not engage in the way they did. Uh, she did. But yeah, I, I actually, one. you know, we'll talk about this later because we got a question on this. I think she benefited from the exchange. She probably took on some water, but she really, you know, this was a this was a tough move. And I think she benefited. But let's hold that for the... Uh... Yeah, I just want to add that, um, you know, there's been a lot of speculation. Oh, did she plan it on the hot mic? No, no, no. That's exactly how candidates talk to each other when the mic is off. Yeah. And no, so I, don't I think, think it was, was totally, planned. totally real in the moment. But it was an outgrowth of something that we're talking about in the Q&A and mailbag was a strategy. That was something that fell out of the bubble box that was over her head when she was right, giving right, the nice exactly. answer during the during the debate. Now, Klobuchar, you mentioned Klobuchar. She's moving in these polls. She's, uh, you know, well, she, she's moving in one of them, you not know. in not not in the register poll. But she I think yeah. she moved that she was uh, Two higher points in the Mammoth Mammoth poll. Yeah, she went in, from in this poll six to eight in the binder poll. She's in double digits. Uh, you hear from people on the ground in Iowa that she is showing movement, particularly and not surprisingly, in the north of Iowa, closer to Minnesota, and some of these rural counties, uh, right. but she could be uh, she could be a factor in some of these counties. And you know why it matters? Because the DNC just changed its rules and said that if you get even one delegate in in mm-hmm. Iowa, then you're eligible for the new New Hampshire new debate. De- yeah. Debate now whether she, whether she finishes fifth and can still move forward is another issue. And she more than anybody else is harmed by having to be. Uh, uh, as you say, tied down, uh, you know, doing jury right. duty in Washington instead of campaigning in Iowa. That was a huge blow to her already uphill fight. Yeah, you know, there's been this buzz of Amy coming on an aisle for a while, and the register poll kind of crushed it with her at six, and then he had Mammoth at eight, which is really the margin. And now this poll, this new one is the first where she's in double digits at 11, but I'd like to see another one because I think she does have something going on on the 
rural counties in northern Iowa near um, uh, Minnesota, where, by the way, a bunch of my in-laws are from. Uh, but there aren't enough voters there. You know, so if she's in the Polks and Blackhawks, Davenport, if she's not to that 15 percent, her vote on the second round is going to have a real impact. So I, I want to see one more good Amy poll uh, before I believe it. But your point about the debate is true. Of course, and well, she, she's a presence in these debates. She's not as shy like she started shy, but now she's a factor. So that's something. Right. No, no. She has made herself a presence, uh, a presence in these debates. And because of the caucus rules, uh, you know, she if she if she does well in a caucus of uh, of 12 people, she still benefits from that. And she could end up uh, getting uh, a delegate or two uh, here. A couple of other things on the campaign front. You know, they were all in South Carolina this week for the King uh, King holiday, marched together, you know, showed phony comedy uh, as they plotted yeah. against each other. I hear Bernie and uh, Elizabeth had their guys wand each other for knives, just to be sure. <laughs> they look just very friendly. Sure. They, 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 they cla- <laughs> probably prearranged. They, they, they uh, locked arms and marched together. But Joe Biden wasn't exactly locking arms with them when he sat down with the state newspaper on Sunday and talked about right. and talked about uh, whether the, he thought that they would be an asset if they were nominated to other candidates on the on the ballot. Let's let's listen to what Biden said. The top of the ticket matters, as you all know, in South Carolina. I'm just asked a rhetorical question. Bernie's the top of the ticket in North in South Carolina. Or um, uh, or uh, uh, Warren's the top of the ticket. How many Democrats down the line you think are going to win? Um, uh, and uh, it's just it's just practical. Um, and so the question is, who is best equipped to help Democrats win in North Carolina, Georgia, Florida, Texas, Michigan, Pennsylvania? And several Arizona, several other states. And if you look at the data in those states, I win in those states, um, and uh, or I'm competitive in those states. I, I, I'm not saying it will hold, but they had me beating Trump in Texas, they had me beating Trump in Florida by a, a wide margin, et cetera. So I think the candidate has to be someone who is going to help the ticket down the line. They're going to be able to run with and not run away from. And that's why I respectfully suggest so many frontline candidates are endorsing me. That is, the candidates who I don't know that well, I campaign for a lot of them, but who are in districts that we, where they beat a Republican. 41 Democrats beat a Republican to take back the Senate. So, first of all, yeah. uh, we, should just, we should note that he does have a sometimes Trumpian habit of exaggeration. I mean, he is not, uh, he is not winning in any of these states. Uh, he is, uh, you know, he is competitive in Texas. Uh, he is close in some of these states. He is, he is ahead in, in polls, some polls in, in Florida. Uh, but, but he does better in most general, I mean, almost all general election polling at this point. Yeah, you know, he does. He, that's a good card for him to play. No, and that's the point. That is, I mean, the, the biggest the the essence of the Biden message is uh, I am the most competitive candidate against Trump. I can reach into these areas that these candidates from the left cannot. Uh, I mean, this is what they're going to torque up 
moving forward. And, you know, I think it is a compelling argument in a party that is desperate to beat Donald Trump. Yeah. Uh, and the only thing that uh, fights against it is, is Biden's own performance, which may be something that, uh, you know, the elite scorekeepers are more uh, concerned about than, uh, you know, <laughs> than, than, his, than his supporters. Hey, wait a minute. Uh, elite scorekeeper. I, I work for a living. Um, no, no, you're right. You're right. The, the tension between Biden is always the perception voter ha- voters have that he's a winner versus the fact that he bungles and does what at least the media yardstick crowd will look like is, oh, he's losing. He doesn't have a sharp man, you know. Right. And so th- that's going to get marked to market on election night in Iowa, which is why it's so important for him. I do think in that I'm the winner thing, he had a shrewd flourish, which was instead of constructing it, Bernie will give you Trump, I won't. He went at a little sideways. Well, with the Bernie, the, the lower party, the greater cause, our candidates all get wiped out, right. which is kind of a shrewd way without making it me, me, me to get into that. So I, I actually thought he uh, it's time for him to play that card. He's just got to operate in a, in a way every day that doesn't undermine it. So I think the person who has um, as much stake in Iowa uh, as uh, and Biden's performance there as anyone is, is Mike Bloomberg, who's kind of made a huge like half billion dollar bet that Biden's going to stumble in these first four states and that there'll be an opening uh, for him. And, you know, one of the questions about Bloomberg has been, does he have the ability to break into sort of key Democratic constituencies, uh, including African-American voters, 25 percent yeah, of the— african Yeah, and, and, you know, he has uh, lingering issues relative to stop-and-frisk policies. He had as mayor of New York. He renounced them days before announcing, and he just gave this speech in Oklahoma— uh, talking about the fact that he had been the benefit of uh, beneficiary of, of 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 white privilege, uh, and uh, uh, and and the question is, um, is is that effective or is it self conscious in a way that draws attention to a vulnerability? Well, I think they have to do it. I mean, they're they're playing for the perfect storm. You know, step one, we light up a campaign outside the February states. Nobody's ever done that before. It's really hard to do. It's kind of like I plan to win the Oscar, but I'm not going to be in a movie this year. Uh, you know, they're not part of the mega story we're about to have. Normally, you can't do that because not only do you miss February where all the action in the media is, but your donors give up on you because you're nowhere in polls. He doesn't need donors, so he's done it on a scale nobody's ever seen before. So yeah. part one of the magic plan, big check, get ready. Part two, Biden has to stumble and collapse to become the anti-Bernie or the anti-Warren. That's his window. We don't know if that'll happen yet. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. And then number three, if it actually starts working and he is in contention because it looks like a stampede to scary Bernie or scary Warren, and he can edge out a Buddha judge or an Amy, and he's the guy, they know from their polling that Mayor Handcuffs in New York is a huge, huge like lightsaber against him. So they're trying to they're trying to defang that thing early. I don't think if he's in a position to really be the nomination, he's going to get hurt on that. I think that's a fact of life. They're just trying to lessen the impact now preemptively, which I think is the only move they can make. Mm-hmm. So I think it's part of surviving their winning scenario, which is a long shot. But, you know, they've got one and a half out of three things done. Yep. Biden is not the front runner anymore, though he could be again. We'll find out on, uh, in the caucus. And uh, they have the resources. They've lit up some name ID in those places. So I, I think it's rational, but uphill. It is breath. It is breathtaking 
to see what they have done. They, they've got a thousand people on staff. Yeah, uh, they they they'll end up. And I said this from the beginning. They'll run more a- advertising between now and Super Tuesday than Obama ran in the whole 2012 uh, election. I mean, it is this is uncharted waters. We've never seen anything like this. Eventually, he's going to have to be a full candidate and not just a hologram on. On, on TV. Right. And he'll get a hard second look. You know, there, that'll be a bumpy ride, but, but that, having that ride would be a big improvement. By the way, about that machine. But you're right. It doesn't matter if it doesn't matter if Biden, if Biden comes out strong uh, right. in Iowa. And like we're going to talk. Uh, I think we should get together on uh, what well, we'll, we'll decide what day we get together. on. But let me just say this about Iowa, uh, that uh, I think that uh, and I, I may have said this the last time I saw you. Uh, the real question in Iowa are the lanes. Does Elizabeth Warren beat Bernie yep. and emerge as the progressive, you know, get a, get ahead of him in terms of the leading the progressive movement? Does uh, does uh, Biden beat Buttigieg and Klobuchar and uh, finish close to the top? Um, and or or do they beat him? If 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 the yeah. if the winners here. Uh, in Iowa, one, two, in, in whatever order, are Bernie and um, and Biden. I think, you know, the race is going to be pretty well defined very quickly. If Biden is down there in fourth place, if Warren beats, uh, if Warren beats uh, uh, Bernie, I think you're in for a long twilight struggle and the Bloomberg scenario becomes more real. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think if Elizabeth loses to Bernie and Bernie grabs that lane, and Buttigieg or, or Klobuchar, if there's some surge going on, beat Biden uh, in that lane, then 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 the wheels turn for a slot for Bloomberg. But if it's those two into New Hampshire, Bernie and Biden, and it stays Bernie and Biden, nobody upsets the two now quote front runners. Right. Then then the 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 perfect storm Bloomberg needs doesn't happen. But they're they're doing everything they can to be ready for that moment. And, and let's come. just stipulate that anybody who says they actually know what's going to happen in Iowa. Is oh is, sure yeah they're is crazy. either crazy or they're bullshitting you and uh, because nobody knows and talk to anybody in Iowa in the campaigns are out and everyone is uh, sort of up in the air on what is likely to happen there you know actually I I do know what's going to happen in Iowa Steyer is not going to win okay I'm putting it down now write it down you know something bet the farm I always I I, I so admire you for. <laughs> You're such a man of courage. There you go. I'm on a limb. That's why I'm I'm happy to partner up with you. A lot of other people wouldn't go out on a limb uh, like that. Uh, Well, you know what? I'm depressed about Iowa because I lost my big bet that I I had a good odds deal on, which is I said that neither of them would win. This is a year and a half ago or a year ago. Neither would win. This was during Kamala mania after that first debate. But I said, Cory Booker is going to do better in Iowa than Kamala Harris. And I was hoping he would crawl so he'd just finish and I would win the bet. Doesn't getting out uh, after her count? I mean, I think you can collect on that. I'm trying. I'm trying. We're you in arbitration lawyer. You need on some of those now. good Trump lawyers <laughs> yeah, uh, no, to no. help you on this. I, I only hire Democratic trial lawyers. I'm no fool. I know where the pros are. Yeah, let's go to <laughs> let's go to the mailbag. All right. Well, wait a minute. We have a new mailbag jingle. Three, two, one. It's mailbag. <laughs> We're playing the hits here. Uh, all right. That is fantastic. That w- well, I'll tell you what. <laughs> the, you're wasting our budget on the singers and the musicians, but that's okay. 
Uh, we love it. We paid exactly $1 for that jingle because it was made for Radio <laughs> Free GOP, 2016's greatest podcast. I, I'm an old radio nut, and so I went literally to the top jingle guys in the country who kind of retired, Pams and Jams down in Dallas, who had done all the big boss radio <laughs> jingles, and they knocked out a few for Radio Free. So that one was in the drawer, and Jeff found it. No wonder they gave it to you for a <laughs> No wonder we paid a dollar for it because you just gave an ad. Yeah, no, anyway. well, that was the other part of the uh, equation. Um, half price off till Thursday. Uh, less if you can sing. Okay, here we go. Question number one. I think that's from you to me, right? Number five? Number five from someone named Mr. Anonymous. I don't know who that is. Oh, oh. Hello, Elizabeth. I, I, I'm an Iowa caucus voter who changed parties from Republican to Democratic because I would rather vote for a ham sandwich than for Donald Trump. Did you send this question in? Anyway, in my heart, <laughs> no, not me. I'm a Bloomberg voter, but he's not going to win here. Should I vote I like Mike on the first round then strategically vote for Biden, Buttigieg, or Klobuchar in the final? Or do I compromise in the final round itself since that vote is going to be reported? If so, for Joe, Pete, or Amy? I would say as much as I love Bloomberg, don't vote for Mike. It's like voting for Asterisk. It'll have no impact and you'll be standing with three other weirdos at the caucus night i would pick who you think of the top two uh that you like the most who you want to win start where you want it to end and vote that way all around and drag a neighbor along to do the same you know uh that is that is right uh well there are a few interesting wrinkles here one is this is the first caucus in which you can't yeah if you if you're committed on the first ballot to someone who's viable uh, then you have to stay there. So there'll be less movement that way. But also, there is a lot of speculation in Iowa that there'll be precincts in which uh, undecided will actually— uh, you, you can organize an uncommitted, and uncommitted may actually be viable in some of these uh, precincts. And you may see some people going that way to see how this race uh, unfold. So that's something to watch. That'll be interesting. What about, what, is, what does Joe have to say? Well, Joe, mystery Joe is our next question. Maybe I'm being too cynical, but Elizabeth Warren is intelligent and she has a well-funded operation run by very smart people. Murphy adding an asterisk until about uh, uh, November of last year. Are we really to believe that this entire Bernie debacle has not been set up by her campaign? We know that her people leaked the story days before the debate. Am I to believe that an intelligent operator like Warren didn't realize the cameras and mics would still be running eight seconds after the debate's end? Please tell me if I'm being too cynical and that post-debate interaction wasn't shrewdly drawn up by Warren's staff. What do you say? So we started this conversation a little bit earlier. I think that the the thing at the end uh, that was uh, the hot mic moment, I, I don't think that was planned by her campaign, and I don't think that that was particularly helpful, but I think that the the original leak of the information, mm-hmm. I think, was, uh, was very much uh, uh, orchestrated by her campaign or people sympathetic uh, to her campaign. First of all, there aren't that many people who could have leaked the thing. It certainly wasn't Bernie's people mm-hmm. who leaked it. And I think that it wounded Bernie. I, I, I think that the uh, uh, there is still sensitivity uh, around Hillary Clinton. And by the way, uh, Hillary Clinton resurfaced today in her new documentary. She just scalded uh, Bernie Sanders, who she blames uh, for her defeat as much as anybody else, Uh and, uh, you know, she said, among other things, that nobody liked him in the Senate. I'm not sure that's a persuasive argument 
with voters who don't like the Senate and don't like Congress. Uh, <laughs> also said she wasn't sure she'd uh, vote for him against Trump. Or she was un- unwilling to say that she would vote for him against uh, Trump. But there are deep, deep wounds among, particularly among women who supported Hillary Clinton yep. about uh, Sanders and his campaign and how they dealt with her during and after the primary last time. This brought that all back. And I think it was, a, look, it was a blackjack. You can argue about the ethics of uh, of disclosing a private conversation 13 months later. Uh, Bernie denies saying it. But I think it, it, it has slowed him down a little. Oh, no, I agree. And I think Joe's on to something here. You got to remember, and we talked about this last week with uh, guest uh, Axelrod Gibbs, that there was a squabble before this where a phone script leaked out from Bernie World that if a volunteer got a voter who said, well, I'm for Warren, well, she's great, but wears army boots, never liked her. Not that all the campaigns aren't doing that, but this evidence of it got into right. the media. And then that was well within the parameters of uh, I, I defend Bernie. On oh, that. yeah. Believe he said me. she was the candidate of the elites. That's not exactly, you know, a scalding blow. Yeah. A dagger right, to right. the eyeball. Yeah. Yeah. And I've seen some of the phone scripts you've written over the years. Believe me, you have to carry them around in a lead lead box. So that. <laughs> That's typical campaign stuff. The thing, the thing that happened was though the team Elizabeth answered a, a BB gun with a battleship, and they leaked out that Bernie's a woman hater, which is kind of an incredulous charge. But they got it in the debate, and then Elizabeth confirmed it because this was like a secret conversation. Well, then it went on, and she it was set up with a good line for the debate, so it was all going her way till the hot mic thing, which was a little more of a mixed deal to me. Yeah. She was mad for him fighting back from her sneaky attack. And he was smart enough to understand the world of hot mics and say later, next thing you know, they're, they're holding hands and skipping down the, the highway in South Carolina. So during the very fact this was debated, it, it's like the old, um, you know, uh, tell me you don't beat your wife, the fact you're debating it. Don't think of an elephant, uh, the George Lakoff uh, right. explanation. It took space in a bad way. So, yeah, I agree. It was not so great for Bernie. But he's still right now, I would rather be Bernie heading into the Iowa caucus than Elizabeth today. I'm not, I, I think that, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I, I you know, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm really, I am completely bewildered about what's going to happen here because she has a great organization uh, built over a year run by some of the best organizers that I knew in the Obama uh, years. And uh, I, that, that, that may make a big difference there bernie's is uh, bernie has a lot of people there um they're a little more desultory in their uh approach and they're very much focused on the places that bernie did well before they're not expanding though it may that may be enough in a uh could be could be in a race like uh, that's crowded like we will soon find out really fun it's fun not to know fun not to know yeah no it is we're gonna have a good two weeks of sliding into home here and of course there'll be three more you should stay up to see what happens in the eye unlike this i mean everybody should stay up and watch the impeachment because uh it is of historic importance uh but uh there'll be a lot more suspense uh, the night of the Iowa caucuses, I suspect. Hey, oh, it's going to be great. And we'll have a couple more polls where Zephyr teach out will surge, you know, and these polls being taken in a world where half the Iowans unplug their phone. No, the, and I expect the register will have one more poll before this is done. Register will probably get in before. Yeah, so I think there will be another register. Well, one sec before you, before you go on, if you want to hear your question after this amazing jingle. Then you just send it to us at, at our special uh, Gmail address, hacksontap at gmail.com, hacksontap at gmail.com. And don't forget to rate us on iTunes. That really helps. Maybe we can make the, the jingle available for ringtone 
use uh, if uh, people uh, are interested. You know, I'll look into that. Maybe we should send them to the best questioners. And by the way, I gave a merch update last week. We're working on the mugs. The issue is the things are so high quality, they weigh a ton, and the shipping costs are outrageous. So we're trying to figure out how to do them at a reasonable price. Uh, and if we can, we're, we're putting them up on a merch site. That, that's still in progress. Uh, we might have to hand deliver them. All right, anyway, <laughs> speaking of mugs, it's time for The Last Call. Last Call. Okay, I'll start, and uh, I think you'll have something to say about this, too. You know, one of the fun things about being a conservative is you get to, whenever you're feeling a little lethargic and you need a little uh, pep, you need a little excitement, you need a little adrenaline, all you got to do is read the New York Times editorial page, and I'm guaranteeing you it's uh, – It'll get you up and going. And here we are with the big drumroll, please, endorsement from the New York Times, which was the most gutless, silly, self-absorbed, and overall stupid endorsement I've ever seen. They endorsed both Amy Klobuchar and Elizabeth Warren. Now, not that there's anything wrong with Amy Klobuchar or anything other than ideology wrong with Elizabeth Warren, but pick a side, will you? You've got the most economically moderate uh, candidate versus the most economically liberal one. And you endorse both of them, probably just on identity politics. I will never forget when I went into that editorial meeting with John McCain in 2000. And we were feeling good because it wasn't like they were ever going to endorse George W. Bush. We also knew that endorsements were massively overrated and might be good for fundraising. But they, they were perfectly nice people, but they did everything except switch into French, the language of world diplomacy, during that meeting. It was the most self-regarded, I will even use, I'll drop the deaded P word, pompous uh, experience I've ever been through. So here they are again, back to type. And the good thing is the elevator video of Joe Biden on his way to get get scoffed at by, by the elites there has gotten, I think, seven times the viral viewership where the elevator operator, an African-American, explains how much he likes Biden uh, than what the, uh, the those who sit on the Mount Olympus of the New York Times is uh, a double-headed crazy endorsement, what impact that will ever have. So, bah humbug. So, tell me how you really feel about this. So, <laughs> so to, yeah, no, I look, I uh, I tweeted out that if I had one newspaper to choose, I would choose the New York Times and the Washington Post. <laughs> you know, I, I think it's uh, they they it, it was like going to a it's like going to the Chinese restaurant and and you know they they thought they sh- they could choose you know the fish from column A and the chicken from column B. That's not the way these things work. Right, uh, right. And they they've taken a lot of heat for it, and I think they should have taken uh, a lot of heat for it. Voters have to make a choice. Editorial boards uh, should do the same. Yeah, like uh, Newsmax, they don't play around with these games. <laughs> <laughs> Breitbart, they're not confused. No, they do. They look. They they they've chosen between Trump and Trump. Right, right. And they've come up with Trump. It was a, a gutsy call. Um, one small uh, last call note. I, I think Nancy Pelosi has, in the main, been brilliant in her handling uh, of this impeachment uh, process, and uh, it's a difficult uh, uh, difficult path to navigate. I thought one. Uh, unusual sort of off key note was the signing ceremony uh, for the impeachment and handing out signing pens as if this was a legislative uh, achievement. Mm -hmm. I I didn't, I didn't understand that. And it gave, uh, it gave uh, some oxygen to those who wanted to uh, declare this as some sort of democratic, uh, you know, political G, you know, coup attempt. Uh, So I, 
I was befuddled by that. I was surprised by that. Uh, you know, that said, she has guided this thing, uh, you know, pretty steadily uh, through the process. And uh, so, again, this was more the uh, more unusual than the norm, but not a not a good look. Yeah, I agree. It was a rare blunder, but a huge blunder. In fact, I'm nominating it as one of the two worst political blunders of the last six months, the giving out pens like it's a big political scam win, and the fact that Joe Biden has lacked the courage to appear on the Axe Files, yeah, which man. is now available without a paywall. Yeah. So, Joe, come on. If you want to win the Iowa caucus, you have literally about 10 days left. Yeah. No, I think that we'll know that he is ready uh, to take on all the vicissitudes <laughs> of a general election yeah. campaign when he sits down for the Axe Files. That will be the signal. Yeah. Uh, but uh, we shall see. Anyway. Yeah, in the old days, the test was meet the press. We know that's no longer true. It's the Axe Files. That's the grilling you got to get through to be president. No, it's Axe Files. Absolutely. It's a, it's, that's a rite of passage. All right, my friend, we'll, well talk to you next week. Going to be a big one. Yeah. We'll have lots to talk about. We're excited. Now, question, are we doing the thing next week where you're like in Chicago on the throne and I'm on the TV set, the Philco? I think we're doing our first live satellite thing, right? I'm, I'm, told, I'm told the answer is yes. Yeah, so if you're a student there at the IOP, uh, you can come see the show. I will be live on a plasma screen. Okay, X, it was great. Great having you back. And next week, so much to talk about. Yes, sir. See you, brother. Can't wait.